Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time, for this day, and for Your Word. Lord, we ask that You would instruct us, Lord, that You would meet us, that You would help us to understand uh, these many truths that Paul presents to us today. I ask that You'd be with us. In Jesus' name, Amen. With great power comes great responsibility. I always thought that was a really powerful line in the 2002 version of Spider-Man. I would imagine some of you have seen that, but if you haven't, I'll just paint the scene for you real quick. Uh, Ben Parker was Peter Parker's uncle, and he had seen that Peter was changing, that he was was coming into his own, he was becoming a man, and he had more power than he'd ever had before. And so he took this time to meet with Peter, and he needed to tell him what was going on. He needed to confront him and tell him to be careful. Now, there were a lot of things that Ben didn't know. For instance, he didn't know that this was going to be his last conversation with his nephew. He also didn't know that Peter had been bitten by a genetically engineered spider, that his DNA was being transformed, and he was to become the next super person, superhero, Spider-Man. See, there was a lot that Ben didn't know, but he did know that Peter was a changing teenager, that his whole life lay before him, that his hormones were working in him, bringing him from childhood to adulthood, before Ben sat this young man with great potential. Potential to do good, potential to do evil, or potential just to squander it away in meaninglessness. And so he confronted Peter, speaking prophetically about the great responsibility that came with being a powerful man. Now as a teenager... This was music to my ears. With great power comes great responsibility. 
And isn't this a great way for us to inspire people, to tell them, you are powerful, more powerful than you recognize. And the greatest limiting factor in your life is your own self-doubt. I mean, we could look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, here's a man who started countless churches, continually traveled through dangerous regions, and fearlessly preached the Gospel. It seems like he wasn't afraid of anything but willingly endured so much for Christ. I mean, I look at the Apostle Paul and I see a Christian superstar, a Spider-Man of his day. And here he comes to us in 2 Corinthians as our loving Uncle Paul with words of wisdom telling us how to channel his secret ability. But he doesn't tell us with great power comes great responsibility. Instead, He tells us that we are weak. That we are jars of clay. That our bodies are wasting away. That in this life, we will face affliction. That we carry around the death of Jesus in our bodies. This isn't something that many of us would like to hear. Much less put into a movie or maybe post on an inspirational poster. But Paul tells us an important truth here. See, Christian, do not lose heart. Your weakness is intentional to show forth God's surpassing power. And your suffering is full of God's purpose. This is what we want to see in today's passage. And it bears repeating, do not lose heart. Your weakness is intentional to show forth the surpassing power of God. And your suffering is is full of God's good purpose. So to begin with, Paul states that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now the treasure that Paul's referring to is what he just finished talking about in verse 6. If you remember back a couple weeks ago, the last thing Paul was talking about was the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the Gospel is good news that God not only created the world, but He has recreated us in His Son. That He has brought life to the lifeless. He has shown supernatural light to cure the veiled blindness of perishing people so they might know Him and grow in His likeness. I mean, what treasure it is to know the Lord. What a gift to know that God is so active in our salvation, and that He is at work and He will finish what He started. That in and through us, the Gospel continues to draw more and more people back to God. So when we looked at the previous six verses, Paul was clear that he doesn't lose heart. That there's not a problem at all with the message of the Gospel. After all, it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And this week we see him transition a little bit. He's confident in the message, but he's also confident in the messengers that God uses. Notice that the treasure in verse 7 is held in jars of clay. Now these jars were very common. They were cheap pottery used in everyday life. They were easily made. They could be used for just about anything. And Paul says that our lives are these jars of clay. And so what we have going on here is this massive difference between the priceless treasure and its seemingly worthless container. 
A vessel that doesn't appear to fit the job of holding something so precious. Now this week, the youth group met and totally made my day by bringing me many wondrously random gifts. This is something that I've always loved to do for them. And so when they presented me with all of these random things, I had one of those like gut check moments. Oh no, like what have I done to them? But it also filled me with great pride. So I'll just, I'll give you maybe just a little sampling of the gifts that I received that aren't limited to this. Uh, but I did receive a little girl butterfly umbrella, a plastic individual banana holder that I have no idea why I would ever want, um, or anyone. It just seems dirty. Um, I received a lemon, a cucumber, a steering wheel cover for the Franken van, and then an old DVD cartoon of these um, hideous little sheep uh, that sing Bible songs. And it's something like the Flockhart sing the Bible or something. Youth group, beware, we will be watching this sometime soon. Now all of these gifts, dare I say treasure in this analogy, were filled and given to me with various wrappings. And there was lots of different wrappings. I mean, I was getting old Christmas bags and bridal shower bags, wrapping paper, shoe boxes, plastic Walmart sacks, since one person was even so clever as to use a, well, used McDonald's bag. And so all of my treasure came to me in these wrappings. Now, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, as they were stacked up on the picnic table, it really looked like a pile of trash. Not a pile of treasure. But inside this pile was my loot. The treasure that did not reflect the wrapping. Now I understand this is a, is a silly, silly analogy. Uh, but this is what Paul is saying. His point is that precious objects don't lose their value based on the container that they're put into. See, a million dollars in a burlap sack is still worth a million dollars. A gold diamond ring that's put in a box doesn't depreciate in value at all. The gospel isn't cheapened when it finds its home in jars of clay. Regular, common, everyday people like you and like me. See, if you look at the glorious good news of the gospel and you think, well, I'm not, a, I'm not enough. Like my life isn't good enough. I'm not cleaned up enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not kind enough. I'm not anything enough to receive and proclaim this treasure. You're both absolutely right and you're totally wrong. See, the message of grace is that you don't deserve it. It doesn't belong to you. And yet, God freely gives it anyway. He has chosen to bless us and give us this gift that we don't deserve. The Gospel is for you. You might be a Walmart bag, but that doesn't detract from the indescribable value of the good news that resides within you. But the jars of clay analogy doesn't just speak to common, cheap nature, but it also speaks to our weakness and our fragility. If you've ever handled a clay pot before, you know that yes, it is heavy, but no, it isn't strong. They're easily chipped and broken. 
They're easily shattered. And because these jars were so cheap and so common, if someone broke them, it was fine. You would just throw out the old pieces and get a new one. And so what Paul is saying is that God intends to use both common objects and fragile vessels like us to send forward His good news. Now this wasn't an idea that made a whole lot of sense to the Corinthians here in our passage Especially when they understood that that God was calling them out not to put them up on a shelf and keep them out of the fray, but He was going to send them out into the world, into a war zone, a dangerous place where the message of the Gospel the world would naturally reject. I mean, if you look at Paul and his life, look at how he was afflicted. He was persecuted wherever he went. And if God chooses to use fragile people, Shouldn't we be more careful? Shouldn't we maybe risk less and keep away from things that may cause us harm? No, Paul answers the opposite. If you look at how he answers this, he says, because we are weak and fragile, we can and must trust God more. In fact, he chose the weak and the fragile and the foolish things in the world to show unmistakably that all the glory belongs to God. That's Paul's conclusion. That's his thesis statement that we find in verse 7. Right away at the beginning, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If we think about this, isn't this the way that God has always worked? I mean, you go back into the Old Testament and story after story is showing how God chose the weak in the world. I mean, think about Abraham. He called him out of paganism to go and he's going to create this this people that follows after him. And what do we see in Abraham right away? I mean, he goes and he, he lies about his wife and says, she's my sister two times, even though God has promised because he's more worried about protecting his own life than he is about his wife's. God shows the deceitful, cowering Jacob over his strong hunter of a brother, Esau. We see God choose the young dreamer, Joseph, instead of his shepherding brothers. The cowardly excuse filled Moses to deliver Israel. The youngest son of Jesse, David, over all of his older brothers. Israel over Egypt. Judah over Babylon. Disciples who are fishermen, tax collectors, and sinners instead of political or religious elites. So again and again and again, God displays His power using the young, the weak, the powerless to bring about His great plan. So why would we expect that God would do anything different today? So Paul goes on to talk about his weakness. He says that he's been afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And you'll remember that Paul is writing back to this Corinthian church. And in this church, it's a group of people that had turned their back on Paul. And now they've come back and he's speaking to them. But there's still this opposition in the church. People that are trying to take this church away from Paul to disown him. And they look at Paul and they say things like, look at Paul's life. Like, Do you want to follow a beaten and broken man like that? Do you realize He's calling you to follow Him in His suffering? Do you want to go follow Him in that suffering? 
<laughs> but I love, I love Paul. And rather than seeing his suffering and his brokenness and his beatenness as a hindrance to the gospel, he boasts in it. He says, you may think you know the story of my suffering, but you don't know the half of it. Let me tell you about it. So if you were to flip forward in your Bible to chapter 12, Paul goes through this list. He says, I have labored harder than any of my opponents, faced more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often brought near death. Five times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And what's his point? Like, what's he saying here? He's not saying, look at how tough I am, or look at the survival skills that I have. No, he says, look at how weak I am. But look at how strong God continues to be within me. See, Paul had heard God say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Thus Paul rejoiced in his weaknesses because he knew that the power of Christ rested upon him, showing forth more clearly through his obvious inability. Paul concluded, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, in God's upside-down kingdom, God uses our inability to make His strength so incredibly clear. This is what Paul is pointing out in our text too. Coming back to verse 8, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So Paul is saying to them, yes, we are weak. We are fragile. Yes, we will face trials and tribulation and afflictions and pressures of all kind in this life. But look at how God continues to sustain us. Look at how His power is so clearly evident in our lives. And then in verses 10-12, through 12, Paul goes so far as to claim that when people look at the obedient suffering of Christians, they see the death of work. And yet through that, they see the life of Jesus at work as well. So not only... Does our suffering provide clear evidence of God surpassing power in our lives, giving Him all the glory? But it's also good for others. That others see through our jars of clay to the treasure within. They see through our suffering to the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who laid down His life, who loved us, and gave Himself up as a ransom for many. See, through suffering... Verse 15 tells us that grace is being extended to more and more people. And that thanksgiving is increasing more and more to the glory of God. And so we see that Paul is motivated to endure suffering for the glory of God and the good of others. But in the rest of our passage, Paul gives us a few other reasons as well. 
So in verse 14, Paul says that he confidently trusts God because he knows the resurrection power of God. See, if this, were, if this world is all that we have and death was truly the end, our suffering would be incredibly foolish, wouldn't it? Elsewhere, Paul says that if our hope in this life terminated at death, Christians should be pitied above everyone else that we're simply throwing our lives away. But if the resurrection is true, we know that we will be raised with Jesus. We will be brought into His presence together with fullness of joy. See, this world is not our home. And our hearts long for paradise, for our eternal rest, for the presence of our Savior who has gone away to prepare a place for us and He will come again and take us to be with Him. In verse 16, Paul gives us another reason not to lose heart. He says that though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Again, the youth group helped me celebrate my birthday this week. As every good humbling youth group does, they reminded me that I'm another year older, another year nearer to the grave. See, we're all marching in one direction in time in this life. We're moving through life. And we're all moving towards death. This is a reality that we cannot avoid. Exercise and diet can help us feel young. Makeup and hair coloring and surgery can help us look young. But the reality is is that our, our physical bodies are in this inevitable process of wasting away. There is no fountain of youth. We cannot stall death forever. And yet for the believer... We see something, oh, excuse me. For the believer, Paul tells us that regardless of what is taking place externally in our lives, internally, God is strengthening us and giving us inner renewal day by day that we're not alone. And he doesn't call us to move forward in our own power, but rather in his. That God gives us what we need each day. He gives us hidden resources to press through whatever difficulties he has put in our path. While we are fragile jars of clay, God is at work within us providing sufficient grace to endure. Power to persevere through whatever trials God has placed in our lives in this veil of tears. We know that suffering is bad. That pain came after the fall. It's a reminder to us that this world is not in a state of innocence anymore. And affliction is part of our world, part of the human experience. While many people try to live comfortable lives, seeking every opportunity to avoid pain, Paul embraces it. It's not that he enjoys pain for its own sake, but rather he sees pain of a faithful, obedient life as one of the ways that God builds up His people. See, there are different kinds of pain. There's a pain that comes from a a good workout. There's also pain from overeating. Both may feel miserable, but one leads to healthy good results, while the other leads to unhealthy bad results. See, living disobediently does not produce good for us. 
even if we do gain in the short term. However, living obediently will produce good for us, even if it costs us dearly in this life. Refusing to cheat to get ahead means that you will lose out in our cutthroat world in different ways. Telling the truth means that you will at least take your fair share of the blame when things go wrong. Attending church regularly may cut into your activities, costing you playing time or maybe even a spot on the team. Holding biblical truth may cost you relationships and status in this world. Standing up for the lowly will keep you from being cool or part of the in crowd. Speaking of Christ may make people think poorly of you or even mock you as someone who's intolerant or old-fashioned or just plain dumb. And that's not to mention all that we can learn from the persecuted church around the world that faces severe consequences for even less. This is what Paul had experienced and what Paul was talking about. And yet beyond affliction for living distinctively Christian lives, we also face physical pain and disease and death in this sin-torn world. We deal with the pain of watching those we love suffer. Cancer debilitates otherwise healthy bodies. Dementia robs the body of its mind. Accidents maim and cripple. And death brings unnatural finality, stealing those we love away from us. And Paul tells us that part of this living in this world means suffering in various ways. But he also tells us something amazing in verse 17. He calls it light momentary affliction. That our suffering doesn't carry much weight. That it's not heavy. That it's momentary and doesn't last a long time. But how can this be? How can you look around you and see the struggling of those who are in great pain all around us? Don't we see crushing situations? Don't we feel the intense sting of pain and the agonizing effects of death? Don't we cry out with the psalmist, How long, O Lord, will You forget me forever? How long will You hide Your face from me? I mean, how can Paul tell us that the suffering of this world is light and momentary? Paul says that because he's not focusing on the things that are seen, but rather on the things that are unseen. He says that the things that are seen are temporary and they're passing away, but the unseen things are eternal. And so he holds on to the promises of God in hope. And one of these promises is that this world and all of its pain, all of its sorrow, all of its death are light and momentary when you compare it to eternity. That all of this will end for us in this life. That when we die, we will leave all of this behind us. Everything that causes discomfort and pain and suffering. As Paul tells us in Romans, the deepest feelings of hurt and suffering of this present time will not be worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us in the age to come. It's not that pain in and of itself is light. Pain in and of itself doesn't seem momentary. No, it's only when we compare it to the eternal weight of glory that God is preparing for us through our suffering. See, this is our hope. The suffering that you and I face in our lives is not meaningless. The suffering is doing something in you. 
And it's preparing you for glory that's far more intense than the deepest depressions or the longest valleys or the worst suffering that you will ever encounter in this life. Paul isn't telling us to keep a stiff upper lip or rub some dirt in our wounds. He's reminding us that to endure this life, we must look to God. We must rely on His strength. We must cling to His promise of future glory that is being prepared for us through the bitterness of this life. Look to heaven. Meditate on the unseen things of God each day. Don't get caught up in the trap of looking at the things of this world. But remember that they are light and momentary in comparison with the eternal weight of glory that is beyond anything that we could imagine in this life. Don't lose heart. Your weakness is intentional to show forth the glory of God. Your suffering is full of God's purpose. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.